I don't think there's anything wrong with dabbling and, you know, in different things. And I'm less hyper now at 57, but yeah, you're a middle child too, right? Well, so yeah. You feel me. <laughs> I think you, you know. Me. Yeah. <laughs> he's an insurance agent. Really, he's talking about it like it's this exciting thing, but it really <laughs> is. It's very interesting. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey there. <laughs> hey guys, it's your host, Emma. And I'm Emma's dad, Roberto. He is not Roberto. <laughs> not really. My name is Ruben, but I just don't <laughs> like my name. We plan to make light of it ahead of this recording, so it was pre-planned. But today we are here with our 18th episode of Before We Make It. Obviously, you guys can tell it's going to be a little bit of a different episode because my dad is here. We figured it would be cool to do a sort of advice episode. Next week, Dasam is going to be on with her boyfriend, Julian. And so we just thought it would be really fun to do sort of a little bit of a different type of episode. Go ahead and introduce yourself, dad. I'm your dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. And and um, I'm happy to be part of your podcast. I have not heard all of your podcasts, but of the ones that I've heard, I really have enjoyed them. Well, how many have you listened to? Yeah, how many even listened to that many? <laughs> Two. Oh, okay. So we're they, that's when they were rather long. A little bit on the lengthier side, but <laughs> no, yeah, you haven't listened to all the ones recently, which we've had a lot of pretty good ones. I would say this is episode eighteen. So that should tell you how far we've come yeah, along. I've got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, you do have a lot yeah. of catching up to do. But some anyway, binging. Yeah, some binging. We're going to go ahead and get into our first segment, Truly Obsessed. I haven't picked up a book lately. What I've been uh, struggling with is is really painting. I started painting about three years ago. I bought every supply there is known to man from yes. Blick and from Jackson <laughs> Art. And so I have everything. I do a little watercolor. Lately, I've been trying to do acrylic pour. What is acrylic pour? Well, acrylic pour, it, it's actually really fun. If you go on YouTube and just watch acrylic pour videos, it, it looks like it's so easy. But when you actually start to do it, it it's a little tricky. Anybody can do it, I think. So basically what you do is you mix uh, some paints of your choosing, colors that you like, uh, mix them with a little bit of water, a little bit of silicone, mix them to a, you know, a watery consistency, and then you just pour them on your canvas and, and okay. you mix the colors and they create some magical, uh, <laughs> amazing paintings. I just haven't gotten one of those yet. Okay, so are you obsessed with that? Is that your like? I'm obsessed obsession? with trying to get one that looks close to what I see on YouTube. Okay, not there yet. He does art for fun on the side, and he has literally every art supply known to man. And he's done a lot of really cool stuff. So I can back you up. Why, on thank that. you. You're yeah, welcome. one hangs on your wall, right? Mm -hmm. If you are a friend and you've seen my room in College Station, you know that my dad's art is like all over my room. So it's really nice. But anyway, okay, amazing. So for me, I have been obsessed with this book. I just finished it in two days. It was awesome. It's called Maybe in Another Life by Taylor Jenkins Reid. First, I was like, okay, it's kind of like whatever. I don't really care that much. It's kind of slow. I think about like 30 pages in, it just picked up so fast. It's basically about these like two concurrent storylines. And so there's this girl and she's facing the decision that she has to make the whole book is about the results of like both decisions so if she takes one path her life goes one way and if she takes another it goes a completely different direction every other chapter is like based off the different decisions she makes so it's such a good book and honestly like to me it wasn't even about the romance it was about just like the power of decisions yes, it was no it wasn't <laughs> i swear okay <laughs> no at first it was <laughs> author really doesn't emphasize as much of the romance as I thought she was going to. And the main message is really just about the power of decision making and there's family and friendship. And so it's such a good book. So I highly recommend. 
I always talk about drinks that I like. My dad like knows this. I always have like different drinks with me, like kombucha, coffee, iced tea, like whatever. But as of recently, I've been loving the iced peach green tea from Starbucks. Sweet. It's not good for you, but <laughs> it's been my favorite. So super refreshing and great for spring. Okay, my dad's writing me rude notes on a paper as we speak because I'm talking about my Starbucks drinks right now. But anyway, dad, why don't you just give us a bit of a sort of background story, like where you grew up, sort of like a life story, but condensed. 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 Wow. 57 years condensed. I know. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I was born and raised in McAllen, Texas. A sleepy little town near the border. (laughs) Um, And I am one of seven children, and I am a middle child. Need I say more? Yeah. It's been a tough time. Yeah. You're a middle child too, right? Well, yeah. You feel me. (laughs) I think you you know. Yeah. (laughs) Graduated um, in 1982. I went to Bible college in Florida. And the reason I went there is because the church that I went to, our pastor was on the board of that college. I got a music scholarship. So the scholarship was based uh, around me um, being part of a musical group that would travel up and down the East Coast and, and go to various venues and promote the school. It was a full tuition scholarship. So I really had to work to kind of make my way through and a motorcycle accident broke both my legs yeah um decided to come back home and finish here my plan was to go to law school and then you know life happens and you have to start working i uh, took a teaching job my job in education was very gratifying i was a third grade teacher Uh, what i always felt was neat was that I had that teaching degree as sort of a safety net. I had that in the bank, so to speak. So it it was my door opener. What it did for me was give me the confidence to take risks and to try new things. And I did. So when I was a third grade teacher, uh, about three years into it, I had been writing uh, some songs and I wrote a couple of songs. Uh, One of them was was for a a Tejano star named Selena that had passed away. And my third grade students were pretty devastated over that. They were fans. I knew who she was, but I saw how how affected they were. And and I wrote this song in tribute and went into a studio to record it with my students as sort of a project. And then it got on the radio and it got traction. And then Selena's father got a hold of it somehow and it ended up on a movie soundtrack. So at the time I started writing and it was a dream of mine to kind of be in the music industry, you know, and I, I had, you know, I mean, every kid dreams, right? And so this was an opportunity for me. So I actually left teaching for, for about a year and a half and joined a group, went on the road and was writing and, and performing in the Tejano music industry. Did that for about a year and a half. Again, I felt confident I could do that because I could always go back to teaching or I could always go back and fall back on my degree, you know. And so after that kind of ran its course. I did go back into education, but it was higher ed. So I went to work at a local community college at the time uh, that was fast growing. So I ended up working as a recruiter, worked with high school students, worked with people that had been laid off, perhaps from a company that maybe closed down and, and recruited them into eventually take college courses. Many would have to start with ESL classes, GDs, and so on. And so I was in higher ed for a number of years, uh, saw that college just really transform. I mean, it grew immensely in the seven years that I was there. And then I went into insurance. <laughs> you know, I never dreamed in a million years I would have been a teacher or have become a, a, an insurance agent, but here I am. Every life experience sort of forms and sort of takes you uh, down that path. And, and I think you grow a little bit 
from every experience and you sort of take it with you. So I, I, I think it took a little bit uh, with me into the insurance world from my years in education. And I love what I do. And I think I try to do my best to teach and to educate my clients on, on the best uh, coverage and tr- uh, strategies. Obviously, like you have your day job, but you also do other things aside from that. And that's something that's always inspired me and that I always tell my friends about is that you don't just do like that one thing, you do a bunch of things and mm-hmm. you're able to sort of incorporate your passions into an income. Like you actually, you know, figured mm-hmm. out ways to do that for a lot of college students. And for me personally, I don't just want to stick to one thing in my career. I want to be able to do as many things. I want to be a lifelong learner and pick up new hobbies as I go. And I don't think that just because you get to a certain age, it means that you have to stop learning and stop trying new things. And I feel like you're a perfect example of that. Can you talk a little bit about what that's been like, like the other different things that you do aside from insurance and when you started picking up those extra sort of side hustles? Well, you know, that's like a thing, right? Uh, Side hustle. I think I was ADHD, you know, going back to that whole safety net thing. When I when I got my teaching degree, I felt I could take risks. I felt I could take chances on trying things. Uh, one of the things I did early on, I went into construction. So we were nearly married, Emma's mom and I. We were going to build a house. My uncle is a builder and we were going to get him to do it. He said, hey, you can do this. And I was like, really? He says, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll guide you. And so he did. And I did and fell in love with the process of building and contracting. I started a company, you know, building homes and light commercial remodels and things like that. And so started in 1998 and I still dabble in it. I, it's not a full time thing for me, but I, I know my, my way around a blueprint, you know, something that I've been able to do to sort of help put my kids through school and provide a better life for my family. I always hear the term jack of all trades, master of none, mm-hmm. right? I think like boring people say that because <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with dabbling and, tr- you know, in different things and trying out different things. You know, that's the neat thing about life. You know, it presents you with these different opportunities and you just kind of run with them. And so I wanted to learn to paint. I've always been a little artistic. So I went on YouTube and I learned how to paint. I wanted to write a song. Sure, I wrote a lot of bad ones before, <laughs> you know, a, a decent one got somebody's attention. And I've written several that have been published and and have provided income for my family. I wanted to build something. So I took that step. I think I think it's important to for everyone to understand how big it is to take that first step. A lot of times we tend to dream and we tend to, to go down this path and try this new thing. But it's that first step that's so critical because if you don't take that first step, and, and I know it sounds cliche, but you'll have a zero chance of even accomplishing that. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've dabbled, you know, in a lot of things, you know, I, I mean, cycling, I've been cycling since March, road biking, mountain biking, you know, when I get into something, I really get into it. Part of that is, you know, the the whole attention deficit, you know, <laughs> I'm less hyper now at 57. But uh, yeah, dad yeah. has a habit of picking up random, like, obviously, you do stick to a lot of the things that you pick up. But there's other times where he goes on health kicks and he'll buy every vegetable the grocery store has and ginger and all these random supplements. And then they just rot. And <laughs> it's like, what are it you doing? It tastes really bad. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, who are you trying to impress? It's so funny. I mean, I admire that you've definitely stuck to like the cycling thing. Also, of course, like the art and everything. As far as when you started 
Redleaf Builders, which is the construction construct- company. Okay. Mm-hmm. You said that you just started it. Like, what was the first thing that you did? Well, like, Well, I'll tell you the story you know, behind Redleaf. Okay. Tell me the story behind Redleaf. Mm-hmm. But also, like, how do you go into something that you have no experience in, like little experience in? That's a great question. You know, your mom says, well, you're so bold. And, you know, I people would surprise themselves if they would just take those first steps. You'd be surprised how many people are willing to jump in and help you along the way. People aren't islands. People are out there willing to help you. And you just have to ask, you know. So, you know, when I went into construction, the name Redleaf came about because I had built our home, our first home. My older brother was was transitioning from a job in banking and wanted to start a construction company. And he said, hey, come up with some names for me. Help me out. Logo something. So I came up with Redleaf Builders was one of those names. And he said, no, I don't like it. It sounds too corporate, too whatever. And ultimately, he didn't end up uh, going into construction. But I went ahead and used the name. And I said, well, I like it. I'm going to use it. So I started building homes under that name. I, again, it's not a huge um, you know, construction company. I, I built a number of homes over the years. Along the way, you know, like it started with my uncle. He was willing, my uncle Al, willing to step out and just lend a hand. And, you know, when we were in the pre-pour stage, you know, I I was measuring everything. I was out there measuring pipe plumbing, which is basically all your vents and all your pipes that go in the sewer and everything that goes in before sewer lines before you pour the concrete. And I was literally measuring to the inch and these guys, come on, it doesn't have to be exact. And I was like, yes, it does. So I was literally out there getting them to move pipes. And my uncle was like, hey, you need to take it easy on these guys. You know, it's okay. You know, he kind of calmed me down and helped me kind of work with these individuals. And you learn how to interact with people, not lose it at every turn. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's like, obviously a huge part is that you are able to like communicate effectively to a lot of different people, but sort of giving an overall message to like starting a new endeavor and going into it with a mindset of being willing to learn, experience everything that you must experience before getting to a place where you're more seasoned in that Mm -hmm. area. What Mm -hmm. was it like just like going into this new thing? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, did you ever think about like completely just giving up on the idea Mm -hmm. or abandoning it after a year or two because it got maybe too hard or it took too much time away from your work life and your family life? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, when, when you're thinking about things that you'd like to try or, or, or maybe a career path or whatnot, you know, you also have to have an interest in it, right? Construction in this particular example really piqued my interest. I liked the process. Part of it was I had to build a home and I wasn't about to pay a builder to do it when my family's in construction. Yeah, sure. I was kind of apprehensive. I was kind of scared to tackle the project on my own. But I knew I had people supporting me. Once I fell in love with the process, you know, I knew it wasn't something I was going to do full time. I wasn't going to quit my day job to do it. But I knew it was something that I could do for supplemental income and that I enjoyed doing. I think the other thing to take away from this is that there's always going to be somebody that's going to try to dissuade you or discourage you. You know, they, people call them naysayers, whatever. But you just need to march to the beat of your own drum. I know that sounds kind of, again, cliche, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's so true. If you listen to every negative comment or every uh, discouraging word that somebody's so happy and willing to offer you, then you're really never going to accomplish anything. You have to kind of just uh, navigate your way around that. Just focus. Don't take no for an answer. Be persistent. Seek out the help. And don't get discouraged at the first challenge, you know, or the first barrier you encounter. If you really like uh, that particular path that you've chosen, you you will advance or you'll get there. You just need to uh, stick to it. Mm-hmm. 
So the technical hurdles aren't as big of a deal when it's something that you are extremely passionate about and just like super motivated towards. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, let's move into the three big pieces of advice. A little bit more of a background. My dad and I are really close and he is just like my go-to when it comes to advice on big and little things. He's extremely encouraging and just gives the best random pieces of advice. I wanted to kind of ask you, what are your three big pieces of advice in like three different areas? So number one is career. Number two is financial. And number three is relationships. Well, general career advice. We've talked about your, you know, uh, interests and and sort of where you want to head. I mean, unfortunately, it's a bit murky. It is a bit murky, but I I don't think it's unique to you. I think for a lot of college students that are graduating this year, uh, it is a bit murky because uh, getting out of this whole pandemic and really just a crazy time. You know, this year, 2020 was really difficult for people all over the world. So it's not anything that's unique to you, Emma. I think college students around the world that are graduating are sort of faced with the same challenges. I mean, companies aren't necessarily hiring or, 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 you know, hiring at, at the pace that they maybe would hire previously. Things are not quite back to normal. You're sort of launching your post-grad life to uncertainty, you know, so so it's normal to feel like a little bit fish out of water, but it's going to come together. In spite of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, you know, I, I think it's important to stick to your plan. You know, obviously you want to choose a career path that you are passionate about. Do what you can. One of the bits of advice I think I was giving you was if you can't go for the job in particular that you want right now, it's not available. They're not hiring. It's like a hiring freeze or whatnot. I think it's not bad to look in other fields, you know, something outside the norm, something outside of what you would normally consider. Because again, every experience that you go through really sort of adds, it's sort of that spice. It's just another viewpoint, another layer that you can sort of take with you into that eventual career that you'll land in. And dad, in your job, obviously you've been working in insurance for a pretty long time now. How long has it been? Um, Well, I've been licensed since 2002. Okay. (laughs) Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Yeah. yeah. With a lot of people my age, and I feel like in my generation and even Tories, people are moving from job to job. I read a ton of articles on it actually recently, how it's becoming more and more rare that someone stays in the same job that they go Mm -hmm. into shortly after college. You know, like I think in the past, there are a lot of people that would take jobs at these huge companies and just be there like their entire lives. And obviously they would climb up the ladder, but that would be it. Like they wouldn't really Mm -hmm. go anywhere else because they were happy there. They were content there. And that was really it. As far as working in a job at this point in your life, do you see yourself doing anything else? And can you give advice to people who are a little bit worried that they're going to get bored of the same job for the rest of their life? Because even with mom, she's a teacher and she plans to retire as a teacher. She's going to be there for a little bit longer, a while longer. But I ask her all the time, like, how do you not get bored of going to the same place every single day, every single year and still go at it with such energy? Like, obviously, there's passion involved, but I do think that there's other elements. Maybe it is an age thing. Maybe there's not that innate desire to go see what else is out there because you were brought up to go into one career and try to stay in it for as long as possible. What advice do you have on that? Because that's something that scares me. Like I, even in going to something that I might be super passionate about, I do get scared that I'm going to get bored of the day in, day out routine of everything. Well, you know, that's what's neat about life. You know, it presents you with different opportunities. You know, again, I, I keep going back to that safety net, even to this day. I haven't been in the classroom for many, many years, but if I wanted to, 
you know, my degree and my certificate from the state of Texas says lifetime. They don't uh, give those to teachers anymore. You know, one of the last few years that they did, that's what my degree says lifetime, my certificate rather. You know, you say, well, people in my generation in the past, you know, used to find a job, corporate job or whatever, a job and kind of stick to it. That wasn't the case for me. And I think for a lot of people, that wasn't the case. I had a gazillion jobs. Man, I've done everything. Uh, When I was going to school, I, I was a waiter. I worked for Domino's, got fired. The car top sign that I had smashed it into a <laughs> parking, uh, I don't know, awning or whatnot. And so I got back and I said, hey, this broke. And they said, you're fired. Oh my and so I've had a lot of jobs, but it was sort of a means to an end. You know, I, I needed a job. I needed income. And so I just did what I had to do. But it is kind of scary to think that you could pick this thing that you've been dreaming about, this particular path that you've been dreaming about. And then you come to a point where you just don't like it. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That happens to a lot of people. But then you take those experiences from that particular time that you committed to that into something else, you know, and that's the neat thing. I mean, we we live in a free country, so you can pick and choose what you want to do. I mean, you you have that opportunity. You know, it's a piece of paper. That diploma you're going to have from A&M is a piece of paper, but it is huge because it's a door opener. It lets people know, hey, you, you committed this amount of time to complete this particular task. And so you can be counted on to get the job done. Yeah, that's super good advice. And what advice do you have on not getting into that mundane day-to-day routine mindset? And how do you stay motivated to continue to like work hard? Personally, and I know a lot of other college students probably feel similar, is that we are doing a lot of the same things every day, even with school and obviously in our future jobs. It can be the most exciting thing, but I think at some point it does become just your regular life. So what do you do to stay energized and motivated in that? I think everyone uh, needs to learn to just find gratification, you know, be grateful for the things you do have. I think a lot of times we spend much of our time dreaming about that like the thing opportunity, that's change your right? Life. Yeah, yeah, you know, that life changing moment. And you miss so much because you're just so focused on that. And nothing that you do between then and hopefully you achieve that, that particular life changing moment really registers. I mean, you don't take stock of it. I think if you can live in the moment and enjoy and be grateful for what you do have while you're trying to get to that next big moment. I think really changes the way you the way you see things and the mm-hmm. way you live your life. For me, I think insurance, and I know, guys, it sounds so boring. He's an insurance agent. Really, he's talking about it like it's this exciting thing, but it really (laughs) is. It's very interesting. And by the way, for those of you who never thought about going into insurance, this this is a little promotion. Got to plug it. Got to plug it. There's actually a shortage in people (laughs) in the insurance industry at all levels. I'm talking underwriting, you know, uh, adjusters down to insurance agents. You a know, whole lot. I'm serious. Uh, a lot of these people have been at those jobs all their lives and they're reaching retirement. There are not enough people to fill the gap. Just a little FYI out there. Uh, great career. But for me, I feel fortunate because I can make a good living working for a great company and I'm licensed in multiple areas. I do so many different things within the insurance field that it's really never a dull moment because it's it's always something challenging, something new. Uh, it's not a health and benefit. It's going to be property casualty. It's going to be life. It's going to be buy-sell agreements, things like that. So for me, it's really interesting. It's never a dull moment. And I have clients that range from the public sector to physicians to restaurants. 
for me, it's sort of like uh, the perfect scenario mm -hmm. because it's always something new, something different, and I can, you know, provide for my family. Yeah, I like so. that also because you get to do a bunch of different projects. You build connections with so many different people mm -hmm. in our community. So I feel like it's just a perfect mix of a lot of things. But anyway, let's move on to financials. So financial advice. And this is something that I'm trying to get together myself. I'm trying to gather my finances, figure out what that's going to look like. I mean, my brother, your son, mm -hmm. is obviously, you know, he's been pretty smart about saving and all that stuff. So what advice do you have for young people trying to just figure out their money issues? Well, I mean, for your brother, he's working and so he can save. I'm kind of working. You're not working. <laughs> you're you're kind of going Are to school. Are you going to throw me into the bus? No, no, no. But I do some freelance work. She just does. To, yeah, she does. Yes. So I'm really proud of her for that. But don't like be down on yourself about that. I think if you can take anything away from this conversation, I wouldn't call myself like a financial guru. If I could give you some advice, it would be based on my errors that I've made. And one of them is, is when I was fixing to graduate from college, every company in the world offered me a credit card and I got as many of them as I could. And I racked them up, you know, it was really tough paying them. And I, you sort of got in this cycle, you know, so my credit wasn't the greatest. And I wish someone had given me, you know, that advice early on. Your credit standing is so important. It's like gold. So I would encourage you to, you know, look into that, talk to somebody about how you can establish your credit and how you can begin to build it, begin to build that beacon score, that credit score as high as possible, because it is a lifesaver when you need to conduct business later in life, buy a home, buy a vehicle. And if you don't have to use credit, even better. If you can commit to you know every transaction being a cash transaction, even better, right? So I would encourage you to really, really look out for you know making sure you're taking care of that credit score. You know, debt is such a burden. Try to do what you can to minimize that. It can be your friend. It can also be your worst enemy. So just remember that about debt and then save. For those of you who aren't familiar with Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest man, men on planet Earth, right? But he's very wise. And if you go back and, and you look at some of his interviews about his early days in his career and some of the things that he stuck to and some of the things he talks about with regard to compound interest and the importance of starting early, start early saving if you can. You know, when you put that money away, it's out of sight, out of mind, out of sight, right? So time and interest really creates a substantial amount of money. And so that when you get to an age where you need to make some investments and whatnot, you're, you're sort of prepared. Look out for your credit score and learn to save. Mm -hmm. Don't be frivolous with your money. Yeah, dad knows about my manicure expenses. So mm. trying to stop, but <laughs> a little bit. anyway, okay. So let's move on to our last big piece of advice, relationships. It's a big one. Wow. Wow. I know. There's a I lot. I feel like you Dear Abby. I know. Oh, sorry. Is, is there even a Dear Abby anymore? There might be still. I haven't read a, a newspaper in a very long time. Dear Abby, for those of you who don't know, it was an advice column. I'm pretty sure it still exists, so but it might just be an online thing now. I don't know. We haven't really talked about relationship advice. Okay. I will be pretty transparent. I've started to tell my dad more things over time about random situations I find myself in, which, you know, it's just funny his advice that he gives to me. I think my generation, again, is very different from yours. It's weird because there are some things that are similar in your time. There are a lot of people that were getting married and having kids at a very young age. And then there are also those that didn't. And in my generation, I mean, it's kind of a little bit more rare that you get married and have kids at 21, 22. I'm seeing it personally, like in my college town, that's happening a lot. It's still like not the norm, but it's happening more than I thought I would see it happen. So as far as just the majority of us who are just figuring it out, obviously, like for the most part, 
college guys, in my experience, are not looking for serious relationships. Not that college women are, but it's just a weird time. You're transitioning from different phases. At least in my eyes, it's very difficult for me to see how you could be in a relationship when you're in those transitional phases. Some people make it work and some people don't. If you could give any sort of advice as to what type of relationship you should look for, what not to look for, what you should look out for, for people Mm -hmm. that are seeing what's out there. You know, I mean, if you're just going to kind of date, you know, go out with friends, that's great. But if you're looking like at a relationship, one of the best pieces of advice that, and you've heard it over and over, over the years from different people is don't date anyone seriously that you wouldn't consider marrying. Is it going to be someone that you can like visualize spending your life with, right? So don't give too much of yourself to someone you wouldn't consider marrying. Mm -hmm. And it's great to date. You know, again, I'm saying this as a dad, so it's probably every dad's advice, right? (laughs) For their little girl. I wouldn't get serious with somebody you wouldn't visualize yourself with, Yeah, you know, spending a lifetime with. And I'm talking about like, like serious, like emotional mm-hmm. uh, investment, you know? Yeah. Um, well, cause that's that like, yeah. I mean, I think time is so precious. And so for me personally, it's hard to give time to people because then it's like, oh, it's like my time, you know, but like, I know it's important relationships. Yeah. But yeah, it's, well, <laughs> you know what? That's maybe what you're missing. You do need to to give time. I think so many people like get the first three steps. People don't take the time to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. At, at least that's been the experience, what I've seen. Yeah. They rush from the beginning stages of a relationship and, and it's like they skip three or four steps. They don't get to know each other. So get to know people, you know, spend time. Don't get so serious so fast. Yeah. Enjoy the destination. Yeah. I get mean, to, enjoy get the to, journey. Get, get to know the person. Another thing that I wanted to ask about is like, My parents, they're very gooey, like, you know, lovey-dovey with each other. And when I was younger, I would always be like, "Eh." and like, I still act as if I'm grossed out. But really, I admire your relationship a lot. I mean, obviously, like, no relationship is perfect. But I love that you guys still manage to make each other laugh and joke around. And I feel like you've given us a really good example of what a strong marriage looks like. And I mean, you've been married for what, like 25 years, 23? We're hitting 24. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I want that sort of relationship one day. And again, it's not perfect because no relationship is, but I kind of just want to ask like in a marriage and, you know, obviously this might not even be in anyone's radar at all, (laughs) but I mean, it certainly isn't in mine at the moment. If you're going into relationships with the mentality of, okay, I want to know if like I could see this person potentially being like my future husband or wife. What advice do you have in that situation? And even just like general relationship, like making sure that it's a strong and healthy one. What are just like some random things that you've observed from like your experience that have been amazing for your relationship? Just being committed, putting the work into it. Marriage is is not easy. For some people, it's a little easier maybe than other people. It's a lot of work. When we got married, I remember the pastor saying, uh, he was talking about the symbolism of the ring. And what he said was, and it's the first time I had heard it, but it's so true. He said, uh, you know, this ring symbolizes your love. There's going to be times when you feel like, oh my God, what am I doing with this person? And how is this going to work for a lifetime, right? But like the ring, it goes round and round. Your your love just, I mean, you keep 
sort of falling in love with this person over and over. I'll say, and I tell your mom, and I know you've heard it. I know I love your mom more today than I did when we first got married. Uh, it's it's just grown, you know, and, and so she's my partner. I view her as my partner and someone that I need to, you know, cherish and protect and take care of, you know, and, and she sees me in the same way. You know, she needs to protect me and she cherishes me and I feel it. So just putting the work in so often we we kind of lump marriage in with this whole disposable part of our lives. You know, it, it's so easy to just throw the towel in. But I think, you know, if you put a little work into it, I think you'd be surprised at how you can really just fall in love with this person over and over. That was really, really great advice. So thank you so much for everything that I you said. I got gooey. He got gooey for a second. I got gooey. All right. So, I don't care none. <laughs> don't care none. So let's move on to our last segment before we wrap up the episode. This is Endearing Awkwardness. And I know that you haven't listened to recent episodes, but the Endearing Awkwardness stories have only gotten more awkward. You'll actually find out a lot about me through the Endearing Awkwardness stories. So <laughs> I need to go back I and know listen. I know you then. do. Well, maybe you shouldn't listen to stuff, <laughs> but no, they're fine. Anyway, so basically just short little anecdotes you can just tell a short story about something that was awkward embarrassing oh man it could i have, have a lot of those but you do i'll but... give you the most recent one okay let's hear it so you all know what robocalls are right so in in my line of work i have to endure and suffer through these you know gazillion robocalls a day my problem is i can't buy uh, one of those robokill programs that would sort of feel these calls for you because I have new clients that are always calling me or new carriers, new companies that are calling me. And I have to take these calls. I literally have to answer every call that comes to my phone. And so it's really annoying because it's like, oh, we got your warranty or, you know, I'm the IRS, you know, and and so it's really frustrating. This past week uh, was late in the day and this call came in and it was all zeros. So I figured it's got to be a robocall. I had been trying to get a hold of this company and had actually placed several calls, left a couple of messages, and they hadn't called me back. And I was really anxious to get that call. And so I got this call with just all these zeros. So I figured it was a robocall. And so I was in a, you know, end of the day, you know, kind of like, eh. A little slump. Yeah. So, so I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm going to toy with these guys. So when I answered the phone, I just kind of stayed real silent and you could kind of hear them breathing in the background. I just went like this. I went, huh? <laughs> I just, I, I just made this, <laughs> this noise. Right. And then they were like, hello. And I went, huh? <laughs> this lady said, is this Ruben Garza? Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, uh, hold on. And then, <laughs> and then I had to disguise my voice uh, and say, oh, hello, this is Ruben. And pretend like I hadn't been the idiot that went, that answered the phone. <laughs> Dad, oh my gosh. <laughs> so you were that I was, bored. <laughs> I, well, I was trying to get this robocaller back and it backfired on me. Yeah, that's what happened. So then did really it work out with the people that you were actually trying to talk well, to? Well, she she actually, I don't know, she was pretending that it didn't happen, but she she gave me the information I needed and she said nothing about it. She didn't ask, what was that, you know, or anything. <laughs> you know, she just kind of like gave me my information. I was like, thank you so much, you know. And Oh <laughs> my gosh. Okay, so this is what a, how old are you, 57? 57. So this is what a 57-year-old is doing at his job. 
He's working well, hard. Well, actually, it was late in the day. Oh, okay. But, well, it was still when you were. But working, you know right? these robocalls. You know, like they're yeah. You know, you have to like do stuff like that yeah. to keep yourself. Yeah. So that was good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was an endearing, awkward. It was awkward. Yeah, moment. it was good. And so mm-hmm. yeah, my dad has a lot of was that really endearing? funny. Yeah, it was good. It was oh, endearing. Okay. My dad has a lot of really funny stories. So we want to put him in like a book or something one day. But stay tuned because there's just so many. For mine, I was kind of debating, but I'm gonna make it sort of a montage of different things. I'm gonna try to keep it short. Okay, I'm the middle child and I've always tended to be, I'm not even going to say like rebellious, but like, I guess I've always put myself in positions to get in trouble. Like you, you wouldn't say I was like the troublemaker though, right? No. Because like the trouble was like not extremely bad. No, no, it wasn't that. You weren't that bad. Okay. Well, a little bit, but not that I think I was probably the worst out of like my other two siblings, but again, it wasn't that bad. Anyway, there are two things out of the many, but two I'm going to talk about right now. So the first was when I was really young. I don't know why, but I was like teaching kids how to read. Did you remember you, that? You, you were an early reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically like there were these little boys that I was teaching how to read. And I remember one of them, he like sent me or his mom gave me this really nice like gift basket. And I was so afraid of what you were going to think because it was like from a boy and I was, I literally hit it. And I remember when you found out about it, you like might've pretended to be mad or something, but I was so terrified. There was another boy that was in my grade and I think he was the nurse's son or something but I was in love with him basically I started writing little notes about him and I put him in this cute little heart dish one day my cousin decided to wrap me out to my dad I don't know what why she would tell you this but she told my dad that I had written all these notes about a boy and you got upset at me were you actually upset like do you remember that vaguely like, no, so I must not have been that upset okay yeah. yeah it was just at the moment I was like what grade were you in first grade okay then no but like it was like a baby little crush like it didn't matter it was just always stuff like that and so i think it was more your grammar i i don't think oh my gosh i don't think i was upset at the whole little boy thing okay well yeah it was always like stuff like that just things having to do with just little girl things that my dad would i guess pretend to be mad about anyway so i learned to start you know kind of being a little bit rebellious at that point very early on because of those experiences, I was like, okay, well, I know what dad's not gonna be okay with. And I know what he is going to be okay with, which is like, basically nothing. And so (laughs) (laughs) no, it's not. But this leads me into one of my favorite stories. And this is like kind of the one that I'm going to use to close it off. I was a junior in high school, I'm pretty sure what I would do. And at this point, I didn't even do this that many times. I only did this like twice. And like just finding out about all and he's just finding out about it. I don't know if it's a little too soon to be admitting the things. But just know that we are responsible in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) You know it's too soon if I'm still paying your bills. Okay, yeah. I guess it is. (laughs) Shoot, I guess I'm going to just close it up right now. But anyway, we've laughed about this one, though. I basically, like, wasn't allowed to go to parties. I had a very strict curfew. My parents just, you know, were trying to keep me safe, whatever. You know, the rest of my grade, their parents were pretty lenient. And they would stay out really, really late. And I was just always jealous that I couldn't stay out as late or go to, like, parties or anything. So this one time... Time, I remember I told them I was sleeping over at a friend's house and I left my phone at my friend's house so that way if they tracked it they would see that it was her house so tricky so tricky so deceitful so <laughs> that one night we decided to go to Whataburger and my phone was at her house but on the way to the party I was like actually I'm pretty sure my parents are asleep let me just pick up my phone because I just want to have it 
which was dumb on my part. We go back, we pick up the phone, we go to this party. I kid you not, like five minutes in, I start getting calls from my parents. And I think it's already like one in the morning at this point, but they're calling me and they're calling me and I'm getting super scared because I know I'm about to die, basically. Then suddenly they discover that I am at this party and my dad gets from our house to this house, which is like way across town. It was pretty far from our house, but he gets there in literally five minutes and comes like- fast car yeah well no you definitely sped so he like swerves into like this house at the end of a a cul-de-sac it was a cul-de-sac yeah he comes super fast i'm waiting outside with my friend like all these people are outside seeing that i'm getting into my dad's car i get in the back seat i'm super ashamed and like also really embarrassed and yeah i think i got my phone taken away for like a month or something at that point but it was just awkward because literally everybody was out in the front lawn just seeing what had happened and of course everyone found out about it later like oh like your dad came and picked you up in that party right (laughs) like not just like a random casual pickup it was like you're in trouble yeah like get in the car you know it was pretty funny now they were probably like wow your dad really loves you Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm sure. It's kind of funny looking back now. There's not really any sort of bad blood between us at this point. I'm over it. What were you thinking in that moment? I don't know. You sound, you sounded pretty, uh, you know, broken there. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I just feel bad because part of me regrets breaking some of the rules, but another part of me, I feel like it's just normal that no, you kept me, you know, you, you, you know what check. you did, you know, you did what a lot of kids do. And uh, <laughs> my job is to do what a lot of parents do do or should do yeah so like so take down my take door care, take care of you yeah i did take your door down once didn't i yes t- yeah, or twice no i think once because it's kind of heavy okay yeah it was too heavy so i just took it down once yeah but hopefully yeah. if you have done something has anybody similar- had their door taken down? i don't know i'm if sure they- i'm not the first dad to take a door down so i've never known anybody else that did get their door taken down but if your door well, did get taken down at any point i, I, would, let us know. I would ask around i'm sure i'm not the only dad that has pulled the door yeah off its hinges yeah i don't know so where that, you got the idea so, so that you don't have all this privacy and <laughs> yeah you know. it's like a privilege i guess exactly it's a privilege for that reason it was because i don't care no he don't care no but that was because i took too long to get ready in the mornings and so he thought that would somehow help yeah i don't no, know i don't think that was it what was yeah, it I, oh i was I, probably texting it, at night it was, it was i'm sure a very good reason oh, okay it. well yeah. the fact that we can't remember it probably wasn't that bad your door was <laughs> taken down at any point i feel like that they did that in that movie freaky friday i think door- i did it did i do it before freaky friday after i did it after yeah because freaky friday is like 2004 really? and this was like 2000 i thought it was being original yeah okay you well, weren't the first. maybe <laughs> kind of like you and the hannah montana thing that's true yeah well okay. t- another story another day anyway that wraps up our episode this was really great advice thank you again for sitting down and talking to everyone about all these things my dad doesn't have social media so he's not going to plug his socials but i will plug the before we make it socials so follow us on instagram at before we make it we have new episodes every thursday everywhere you listen to podcasts and we are also starting a facebook group so please send us a request to join our exclusive facebook group at before we make it on facebook we'll see you next time bye bye yeah, Emma keeps getting emails and they keep dinging and she keeps throwing me off my game here. Sorry. But anyway, 